The Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined by returning guest Jim Jatras, who is a retired former U.S. diplomat and GOP Senate foreign policy advisor. How are things out there, Jim, in the American hinterland behind those old country roads? You know, actually, out where I am in rural Virginia, they're not too bad. Um, I have a great big dog that I recently acquired, and I'm also babysitting her sister. I guess they're a very close family. But anyway, they escaped from my property yesterday and went wandering off into the woods in this deer season. And you really don't want to do that when there are a bunch of guys out here in this area with rifles uh, ready to shoot almost anything that moves. But it was kind of nice. I, I met a couple of the neighbors who had recovered the dogs. And, you know, one of them I'm talking to, he had, he's been here since for nine generations in this part of Virginia. And the, the other fellows I met were pretty similar. And, you know, it kind of restores your faith, at least in some small way, that there's still a real America out there somewhere, that there are still real, genuine people who are not part of the, the corruption that we're seeing now that, uh, you know, what you, you know, you call the salt of the earth. And uh, I, you know, I, you know, I, 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 maybe faith is the wrong word because you put faith only in God, but maybe it gives you a little more reassurance or confidence that when things get ugly, as I think they probably will, um, that there will be the right kind of people around able to deal with the situation, at least in their small local area. And that's why I'm happy to be in that small local area where those kind of people exist and I can be in contact with them. Um, as you know, we've discussed before, I think things are, are going to change very radically. They've been continuing. I think the pace of change is accelerating in, in the last few years. And at some point, I think there will be a, an event or maybe a series of events that uh, are are of historic world historic proportions, and we don't know what those will be. But I think we'll look back on them and say, yes, life is fundamentally different than it was before that happened. Yeah, from time to time, I, I throw on some John Denver, and if I weren't here where I am um, in Mexico, I'd probably be in some country road uh, out uh, in the USA, which I think is a good place. Uh, to be and just to you know back up a little and give a little context about what you started talking about you know i always love talking to you on a, a number of topics uh you know we've covered in the past um you know foreign policy nato world war three with syria uh iran globalism and you know the american domestic situation and i'm sure we'll be touching on that right now but i i'm i'm specifically interested in your kind of bleak assessment of things given the context of um, you know, I put it in the context of the whole Great Reset and the crown virus uh, coup d'etat, as Robert Kennedy Jr. puts it. Uh, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and I, I'm saying you've got black pills for us. And you know what? I I largely share the same view uh, as you. And so today is, you know, black pill day. And back in September, you gave a talk at the Ron Paul uh, Institute in what may have been one of your last uh, public appearances for the foreseeable future. And the theme was that it's later than you think. And you, you've said you're sort of, like, you know, running for the hills. And this is a growing trend. A number of my podcast guests have talked about doing this, and some have actually already done it. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to do it. And, you know, this is kind of a sign and confirmation that, indeed, things are getting worse than we really wish to admit. Uh, for me, I'll mm -hmm. say it's essentially the 1930s all over again. There's a lot of moving parts, uh, as you just mentioned, to what's going on. Cultural revolution, destruction of the economy, middle class, uh, push for military conflict, this, this global political coup d'etat um, and the technocratic digital dictatorship. So kind of what's your kind of frame of reference 
you know, is it kind of like the great reset or is it stuff that was already ongoing, you know, before the crown virus hit? Well, I think I think it, that's that's not neither or a question. It is a great great reset, and it's one that certainly the people behind it. I think people point at uh, Davos and Klaus Schwab and and people like this and say this is something these people have wanted to do for decades, uh, and which which would basically turn you know the, I guess the nice way to put it would be the vast majority of the world's population to serfs who are dependent upon a financial and economic structure that they don't really have a stake in anymore, that that's controlled by a handful of global corporations and a self-appointed elite class. And the rest of us, will, as they say, you will own nothing and you will be happy and we'll eat bugs and we'll enjoy it. And that's the future being prepared for us. And I do think that a radical uh, depopulation is part of that as well. I, I was just listening to the news in the car today and it said that this is the lowest Uh, the last year, I think, was the last, excuse me, the lowest demographic growth rate in America since the United States has existed, since 1776. And they, I said, well, and part of it's because so many people died from COVID. Well, whether they died from COVID or not is a whole other story. But because of things like, it's not so much the COVID itself, but the measures imposed supposedly to deal with the COVID that not only break down the economy, have people isolated and abusing substances, abusing one another, committing suicide. You know, no, you notice nobody even asked the question, what are the human costs of the life-saving measures that are supposedly being in, in, imposed on us? You think any kind of rational health uh, policy based on cost and benefits would have a weighing between what the threat is and what the measures are to deal with it. If you look at it in those terms, you cannot possibly explain anything we're seeing in the world today. If you're looking at it in terms as, as you suggested, the imposition of a great reset that has been long in the works, yes, it all makes a whole lot of sense. And I think that's what we're seeing. And frankly, Hervoya, I think a lot of people are aware of that And you see so many people now saying the narrative is breaking down. Uh, they can't sustain this. I don't notice that that makes any difference. The fact that there are no facts to support it, the fact that none of these things make any sense doesn't make any difference. The ban plays on. The mandates continue. The shutdown. We're right. And I'm not that far from the Washington, D.C. area. They're already reimposing the mask mandates and all that stuff. They're starting to close things down again. Uh, why? Over a variant that doesn't kill anybody? None of that makes any sense if you are worried about health. If it's about something else, it all makes perfect sense. So I, I think we have that. We have the the plummeting popularity of that uh, that cried out husk of what used to be Joe Biden in the White House. Uh, that uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody can really take him seriously anymore as a supposed president. But then we have waiting in the wings Willie Brown's girlfriend who's even less credible than he is as a national leader. Unfortunately, that also feeds the expectation of some people to say, aha, now, now, now the Republicans are going to really clean up in the 2022 congressional elections and Donald Trump's going to come back in 2024. Leaving Trump aside in 2024, even if the Republicans do take the House of Reprehensibles in 2022, what are they going to do with it? What are they going to do with it they didn't do back when they had the Senate in the White House? Under Trump, they're, they're just going to carry water for their their big corporation clients who, who are the real their real constituents, um, not the people who vote them in. 
and uh, you know they'll they'll worry about what's good for the financial class. That they're going to be carrying water for the same woke corporations that are behind the the current uh, policies. So I don't see anything fundamentally changing there. As I keep telling people, we are not going to vote our way out of this thing. Uh, I think we're looking at not only the potential breakdown of the American Republic in any any constitutional sense. In fact, I don't think we I think we have to talk about the American Republic and constitutionalism in the past tense, but also when it gets down to then to the human level, uh, stores, supply chains, uh, inflation, all of that stuff. You know, how can people sustain themselves? And is that uh, I don't think that's just a national phenomenon. That would be a global phenomenon. And that's not even getting to the questions that I'm sure we'll address regarding peace and war. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there you, you said this is black pilled. I, I think, yes, for the short term, it's hard to look at any any rays of sunlight out there. Uh, somebody said there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, unfortunately, that's the train coming the other way. And uh, and I think that's what we're looking at right now. That does not mean, though, there is not going to be something hopeful at the other end of whatever this period looks like. I think there there will. I You know, I do have not only faith in God, but some degree of confidence in human nature that something positive will come out of this, but it's way too early to know what that looks like. This is not the end. This is not even the beginning of the end. We're still going into the crisis phase. We're nowhere near coming out of it or even seeing what that exit looks like. Yeah, I would totally uh, agree with you. And it's, I mean, it's a hard pill to swallow, but I don't think, uh, as you said, like voting and, 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 some of these small victories that people have been having regarding, you know, local mandates and things, they're just mm -hmm. pushing on through. Um, as you said, there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, I don't know, protesting in Europe. They're just, they're just pushing everything on, on through. So this is like classic tyranny, totalitarianism. Once this momentum begins, there's no stopping that train until, until it's done its uh, damage. I just wanted to go back to one point on the Great Reset. You know, my, my next guest is going to be Patrick Wood, uh, the technocracy uh, expert. And mm -hmm. I guess for me, one of the uh, my biggest kind of fears in all of this currently is this, you know, medical tyranny, which is the pretext to establish this technocratic uh, scientific dictatorship of the social credit system or, or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, other things I'm not so worried about because I think they can be mitigated to different extents. You know, you can you could move to another geographic location, change jobs or whatever, but you can't really escape from the digital tyranny, especially if it seems like every country is trying to, to implement it. You know, what, what's your take on I, we can't even travel essentially uh, anymore. And, you know, and now they're talking about not just in the U.S., in all countries. You know, Canada's already applied it here in Mexico. Uh, governors have floated the idea of an internal Soviet passport system where between the 30 Mexican states, you know, you need vaccine certificates to exit and enter. So, uh, you know, what's your take on this new form of totalitarianism? I, uh, well, I think that is the, the that is the apt term of, for it. Um, and uh, I, again, I don't know all the details of where this is going, but I pretty much decided my traveling days are over, that even though it's still possible to get on a plane and go somewhere without getting the Fauci ouchie or, uh, or you know, having your, your piece of paper showing that you're, uh, you're with the program, um, I, you know, you, you hear calls, for example, of making it impossible to start across state lines, even driving anymore. You know, you don't know how, how far these restrictions will go. And I think to some extent, even, even in some of our bigger cities here in America, we're a little bit, um, 
isolated from how bad those factors have become in other countries in the world, like Australia and some countries in Europe, where you can't go anywhere. You can't leave your house. You, you Maybe you can go to the grocery store uh, for, for at least the time being, but even that may be revoked at some point. I think that's why they are getting the big demonstrations in Europe that we're really not seeing here in the United States, that they're under a much more severe regime than we are. But I also expect that that's probably just a matter of time. The one ray of hope there is I do think there are some states in the United States that will not mandate that. You know, uh, people have been pointing at, for example, Governor DeSantis in Florida as being the sort of the paragon resistor of all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, uh, maybe on, on, on the broader political question that hastens some move toward a breakup of the United States in some form. I, you know, it's not going to look like 1861 and it may not happen at all. But I think the extent to which there can be some, um, you might say, informal but nonetheless effective uh, breaking apart of central authority and state and local governance uh, and also people moving around within the country. The, somebody called it the big sort uh, where people, you know, it, it's it's almost like what you see during, you know, wars in places like uh, Yugoslavia or Lebanon or somewhere, somewhere where you say, you know what? Things are getting bad. I better go where my tribe is. I, I, I need to go live among the people who think like me and away from the people who don't think like me. And um, that's, you know, maybe that's where we're moving toward in this country as well. I, I, I don't know if they can get to the same degree of lockdown here in the United States or at least across the country that we've seen in other countries. But uh, I, I'm sure that's what they would like to do. Uh, and again, this is maybe where it gels with the politics. This administration's credibility, I think, is is in, in in the dumpster. On the other hand, if the Republicans ever get their hands on any lever of powers, what exactly are they going to do about it? I don't have much faith in that. Yeah, and um, I wanted to go back to kind of what you touched on in your September speech. And there have been many others um, on the Internet lately discussing this. We had the professor from Europe called, I think, uh, Matthias Desmiet, who talked about mass formation and the psychology of, of tyranny. But you touched on this where you discussed the propensity of so many people to go along with this fascist, whatever form of totalitarianism, technocracy, and I guess this is textbook history, you know, and the same thing has happened over and over in the 1930s and in other time mm -hmm. periods. But today, you know, we have so much information uh, in open source in real time, which allows us to diagnose precisely, you know, what is happening, who is doing it, how they are doing it. And, and yet nobody cares. Like they still fall for it hook, line and sinker, just as they always have in history. And I can't understand it. You know, how do you make sense of the population's, you know, goose step? <laughs> yes, uh, somebody called this the, the little Stalin syndrome, where somebody gets a little teeny ounce of authority and he lords it over everybody else because he can. And um, and I think, unfortunately, there is that aspect of human nature. But uh, I think the other thing you touch on, uh, we have so much information available to us, but it doesn't seem to me primarily a lack of information. You can have two people looking at exactly the same information and they come to radically different conclusions. It's, it seems that it, it somehow reverberates with whatever their underlying suppositions are and uh, that there are some people who have completely drunk the Kool-Aid. Anything the, our wise and benevolent, benevolent authorities tell us for our own good has to be true and right, and we must follow them and support them in every way. And if you are resisting, then you are a traitor. You're, you're an agent of... Uh, 
of uh, Emmanuel Goldstein. You know, you you are basically somebody who's trying to destroy everybody else. You're going to make me sick because you haven't gotten the safety measure that I've gotten that doesn't seem to be working anyway. From our point of view, I assume we're probably in agreement on this point. That's totally and absolutely irrational. But the same people would look at us and say, oh, you're just following for conspiracy theories and your your, your view doesn't make any sense. You don't believe the science, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't know what you do with that. I, I, I think we're talking about some phenomenon of human psychology, partly dependent on uh, views of authority. Uh, that if, if you have some attitude toward authority as, well, the, the, the people in charge have our best interests at heart and they are always right. Yeah, that is a totalitarian mindset. And, and, I, I, and I hate to say this because I'm sure some people will be offended. I notice that women seem to be more amenable to this, that they maybe are a little more conformist in their thinking. They want to be, uh, they want to be good people, decent people, caring people. And so when they're told that this is necessary to protect other people and it's a sign of how much you care about other people, they have a tendency to go along. I mean, a lot of men do, too, of course, but I think women more so. And there are other people who say, you know what, I don't, you know, a lot of it comes down to me is this, is that if you start from the notion this is all for our good by, by the health authorities, you'll come to one set of conclusion. If you come to, if you start with we're ruled by criminals and uh, and and dishonest people, well, then you come to different conclusions. You you are and, I may, and look, I'll admit it. Maybe I go too far in that direction. Maybe my my instinct is kind of like those uh, people who lived in, say, the Soviet Union uh, decades ago to say, you know what? If the authorities are saying it must be a lie, that start from the notion that whatever they say is probably untrue, or at least significantly distorts the truth rather than trying to say, okay, what are they saying? What are the so-called conspiracy theorists saying? What are any other uh, uh, social media or foreign media saying? And try to triangulate and come to some approximation of the truth because you never, you never can be quite sure. You do your best, but you don't put your faith in anybody wholeheartedly because nobody is trustworthy now. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you uh, again. And I think you hit one of the key points. And the, most of the people around me, especially here in Mexico, just want to uh, obey authority. It, I mean, but especially here in Mexico, my point is that up until now, all of you have been complaining about how corrupt, like we know the Mexican government is extra special mm -hmm. corrupt, right? They rendition the federal police, rendition uh, students and people to the narcos and that sort of thing. And everyone's like, oh, it's so corrupt. And then, oh, magically, all of a sudden, they care for our health. And again, I mean, you you you, you covered that, but uh, I want to touch on what you talked about, DeSantis, and kind of like a soft secession and, and civil war. Um, just this week, like another aspect of that has popped up. Um, we've just seen multiple op-eds coming from the establishment, from the Jeff Bezos, Pentagon, Washington Post, uh, specifically from senior military officials, uh, retired, I guess, putting the idea out there of civil war to come from 2022 to 2024 uh, and beyond. And I, I almost feel as if we're experiencing the Bolshevik revolution, but in slow motion uh, and with less, yeah. less violence until now. And we're currently through the, um, going through the revolution phase. And next comes the five-year, you know, white versus red civil war period. And uh, it's, it's as if the establishment is abating and wants violence from the populace, which it then 
uh, in turn can use as a pretext for cementing their power further. And today, um, I think another colleague of yours uh, who you follow, Neboisha Malich, uh, he put out a commentary on RT seeming to uh, agree as well. So, you know, what are your thoughts on it seems like they want to create some kind of false flag or some type of scenario from the establishment. It seems like they're not getting it from the populace. You know, that's entirely possible. And, and it's interesting you mentioned him, Boisha, because he had written something a few months ago after all the controversy with regard to the election. He's saying, hey, everybody's talking about there might be a civil war. I got news for you. There just has been one and you lost uh, that uh, that the, you know, neo-Bolshevik regime or as I, you know, I called, frankly, in 1997, I wrote an article in uh, Chronicles magazine called Rainbow Fascism at Home and Abroad. And, you know, just as we had, you know, brown fascism, red fascism in the previous decades in the 20th century, we have this kind of rainbow fascism now. It's a different ideological content, wokeness, CRT, LGBT, all of the stuff that goes into the, the witch's brew of their ideology. But the, the fascist mentality or Stalinist or whatever you want to call it, the totalitarian mentality is, is the same. Uh, a lot of it does depend on having all the will, will, willful, compliant uh, collaborators with that. But you're right. Uh, I don't think we've even seen the beginning of how demonized the resistors are going to be. I think we saw a little, a little uh, glimpse of that in, in the way the uh, January 6th so-called insurrectionists are being treated to almost total silence. I mean, except for, you know, who? Tucker Carlson, maybe. Who else is really, you know, pointing the finger, the, shining the spotlight on what's going on there? And uh, but I think that's just the beginning of it. Where all of us people who are, you know, racist, sexist, homophobic, uh, hell, you know, science deniers, blah blah blah, you know, everything, you know, uh, you know, this side of flat earthers and maybe them too, are go- basically going to be considered enemies of the people. And as the uh, the FBI director and other people have said, the Attorney General, the biggest threat. To America today is white supremacy. And of course, all of these things in this kind of phantasmagoria of evil of resistors all boils down to that. So if you can say that these people are a white nationalist terrorist group, you know, and they they deny the vax and they do, you know, they do all these things, all these evil people. Yeah, I would. Let's put it this way, Hervoyen. And this will get also to the to the foreign policy aspect as well. Um, you know, recently, I think it was like the last day or two, the Russians warned that some kind of a fake chemical attack may take place in Ukraine to legitimate whatever comes next, just like we saw in uh, Syria on so many occasions. And even when the Syrians warned, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And then it happens, they say, oh, look what the Syrian government just did. It, you cannot you cannot exorcise that ghost by saying they're about to do it. So I wouldn't at all be um, uh, surprised if we see some kind of horrendous terrorist attack from whatever bad thing category it is. You know, some people, for example, pointed to that um, that supposed plot to kidnap uh, the governor of Michigan, which was, of course, was was, was all entrapment for, by the FBI uh, as, as, you know, again, uh, another step along the road to demonizing the opposition. So I think we're certainly going to see that. What measures they may kick off with that, I don't know, in terms of actually moving from, a, let's say, a soft totalitarianism to something resembling a harder totalitarianism. By the way, I think that's also part of the purpose behind the uh, mandate 
for all the federal federal agencies, particularly the armed forces and the law enforcement community, because that's how you get out all the people you don't consider reliable, all the people who have a conscience or say, I don't just blindly follow orders. Okay, they're going to be gone soon. And then you have a force that is willing to do whatever they're told to do, because after all, it would be denying science or, I don't know, racist or homophobic or whatever it might be not to follow orders. So something you're, I think you're absolutely right about something's coming down the pike. I don't know what it is. Yeah. And uh, I think other guests of mine uh, have said, and I agree as well, that that's a classic strategy of, you know, uh, fascist uh, or or Bolshevik revolutions, immediately removing the critical thinkers, uh, intellectuals. Uh, And so you touched on Ukraine. That was my next question that NATO and the West are, I think, really upping the ante against Russia. And if I didn't know any better, you know, if I simply extrapolate, given my understanding of who NATO and the West are in terms of the military intelligence uh, apparatus, their ideology, their unchanging strategic position and long held plans for world domination and their psychopathy, I'd say they actually want uh, war. They're agitating and irritating the wound uh, that is, as you say, Ukraine, Donbass, Belarus uh, as of late. Uh, And and as you said, uh, Shoigu pointed out that the U.S. is forming a multi-sphere brigade to in Europe to carry out a false mm-hmm. flag attack and to supply various missile systems in, in Europe and, and more. Uh, today, pa- Dr. Paul Craig Roberts said that he thinks that Russia has finally put its uh, foot down. Uh, and so where do you see things going uh, from here between Russia and the West? I mean, I just feel like if we just keep going, I, I don't see anything stopping war from eventually breaking out. I, I think things are a lot more dangerous than people seem to think. I mean, after the the Biden uh, Putin uh, virtual meeting of a couple weeks ago, I guess there were some people say, "Well, basically Biden blinked the war's off for now. Uh, we're trying to tell the Ukrainians not to do anything uh, incendiary. We won't get involved militarily if uh, something happens or the Russians invade Ukraine, but there will be sanctions from hell and all that kind of thing." I don't know what are sanctions from heaven. I don't know. Anyway, but that that uh, things seem to be relaxing. I'm not so sure. Uh, you know, l- about a week or so ago, the Russians issued what, in essence, was a, an ultimatum. And it wasn't just about Ukraine. It was basically about all of NATO expansion, even with a draft treaty now that essentially would roll back uh, the the effective reach of NATO Starting with the align, uh, uh, the uh, the first expansion in 1997, the first post Cold War expansion in 1997, um, the Russians. Uh, this is something that does puzzle me a little bit. Why do you deliver an ultimatum to the other side when you know the other side is going to reject it? Usually, that's that's a pretext for war. I mean, when 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 uh, um, Vienna delivered a ultimatum to Belgrade and and and. They designed it purposely that it would not be accepted. Now, I'm not saying the Russians did that when they issued this ultimatum, but it's awful close to it. I mean, it's an ultimatum that they know is not going to fly. What's up their sleeve next? I don't know. Now, there are some people suggesting that what's really going on is, no, the United States does not intend to become directly militarily involved in a war in Ukraine, but they do want to egg the Ukrainians on to do something aggressive toward the Lugansk and Donetsk republics, force the Russians to respond, and that will accomplish the the complete and definitive break of any relationship between Russia and not only the United States, but also with Western Europe. And I was just thinking about this as we were talking about, remember the old formula, 
from who is it, Lord Ismay, from the you know the beginning of NATO back in the 1940s. The purpose of NATO is to keep the Americans in, the Germans down, and the Russians out, and not necessarily in that order. Well, you think about it. If there was a war in Ukraine and the Russians then do whatever they're going to do, which basically they've said it would be the end of the Ukrainian state. Okay, so that means I think that means the end of Nord Stream 2. It means essentially the end of any kind of contact uh, or relationship between uh, Europe and Russia. Where does that leave Europe? Completely under the control of the United States, which is where we want them to be. So if we're looking at some kind of a retrenchment of the American imperium, Maybe this is the best way to go about it, where basically the Russians are pushed back beyond the double A line a little further west than we would like. But nonetheless, that they are consigned to the the uh, the the wilds of Eurasia as far as the Western world is concerned. The Russians are out. Not only Germany, but the rest of Western Europe is then firmly under American control. And then uh, the Americans are in Europe permanently. Maybe that's what they want to accomplish. It's the only way to save what's left of NATO. That's, I, I'm not saying that's necessarily what's going to happen, but that's not an implausible scenario. Yeah, I, I never had that thought exercise in my mind, and it definitely does uh, make sense. And it, it does seem kind of out of uh, George Orwell's 1984 in terms of the three super state, the three you, know, you having these three technocratic, you know, super state uh, dictatorships uh, around the world. And what about you know? China, we have, you know, aside from this assault on the Western flank uh, of the heartland, we've got the Quad and company uh, agitating China on the Eastern flank in the South China Sea and, and Taiwan. And I'm reading an increasing number of analysts, prominent ones in the usual, you know, think tanks and, and establishment publications saying that there's going to be conflict within the next five uh, years. And so, and some have said that, you know, if there were to be conflict, it would happen simultaneously in Ukraine and, and Taiwan, possibly. What are your thoughts uh, on the U.S.-China conflict? Well, first off, I'm not sure how to square the timelines. When we talk about conflict in, in the Western Pacific in the next five years, as opposed to conflict possible in Ukraine in what, the next five weeks? I mean, uh, you know, it's it's a little hard to know how those things are coordinated, although clearly, given the close relationship between President Putin and President Xi, there is uh, there is a coordination. What that looks like and what they're saying to each other in private, I don't think we know. But I think we can assume that whatever happens between Russia and the West or China and the United States, Moscow and Beijing will have each other's back. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe some of these people are thinking in terms of or Orwell's world. Okay, we clients were Oceania and the Russians and the Eurasian, that's Eurasia. And then China, well, that's, that's East Asia. So maybe they think, um, you know, by the I mean, I'm amazed still that you find people writing articles here saying, you know, if we, uh, if, if the current trends continue, we could see the possible emergence of a Russia China alliance. Like, what do you, <laughs> that, hey, that ship has sailed. That alliance exists. I mean, so uh, the, the idea that somehow uh, the, that doesn't exist yet or somehow we're going to drive them apart by giving uh, Moscow a come hither look and play a reverse Kissinger. I think that's just that's just fantasy that I think they have both decided this is for all the marbles. I don't think they necessarily see this in terms of knocking the United States off its pedestal as the leading power in the world but not as the sole unipower, the one who controls the entire globe. I think in a sense, and some people won't like this analogy, that the Russians and the Chinese sort of see uh, America's role in the future as kind of like 
what the Germans would have seen as the British Empire's role if, say, the British had been completely destroyed uh, at Dunkirk and had to, to sue for peace. The Germans did not intend to dismantle the British Empire. I'm not even sure the, the Russians, Chinese intend to dismantle the American Empire as long as it's not in areas right uh, on their borders or in their uh, in their uh, their literal. So it's. Um, I, I, but I don't know. I don't really know what they're 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 saying to each other in, in private. Uh, the other third thing we need to throw into the ingredient in, into the um, ingredient we need to throw in is Iran, not in the same class as Russia and China, but clearly coordinating also with them to a great extent. You know, now full member of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, and and clearly being supported by the Russians and the Chinese and their stare down with the Americans over the, the JCPOA negotiation, which doesn't seem to be going anywhere, which is why we I think we're seeing these increasing threats from the Israelis saying, you know, we've got to do something about Iran. We've got to attack Iran. We're going to attack Iran, build those capabilities. You know, maybe that wouldn't be a full war. Maybe that's only a half a war. So we're going to fight two and a half wars at the same time against the Russians, the Chinese and the Iranians. Um, with with what our our, our rainbow bedecked uh, high heeled um, you know woke military uh, you know it's it just it's it just it, the readiness and the morale in our armed forces uh, are are everybody knows are very very poor because they're shoving this ideology down everybody's throat. What does that do for readiness? What does that do for their operational capabilities? Not that I'm saying I want to go and fight a war with these countries. But in terms of a country's integrity of its uh, military establishment, you're going to provoke a fight with these guys with that kind of a military? Uh, it's, it's, it, 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 it beggars belief. But on the other hand, you're looking at people who are so arrogant and so sure of their, their, their righteousness. I don't think they see the, the, the plain facts that are right in front of them. And uh, just to go back uh, to Russia on a second, I have to admit, up until now, I mean, myself as a conservative, I kind of looked up to some aspects uh, of Russia because I saw it defending, uh, you know, culturally like conservatism and standing up, as you say, to, to the arrogance of the West and the American exceptionalism, kind of like doing a few good things up until now. But then um, I recently did an interview with uh, Riley Wagaman, who used to work for Russia Today, who's still uh, mm -hmm. in, in Russia. And he says, uh, I mean, basically, we're seeing Russia now, the Putin government, basically implement all of these crazy QR code, you know, uh, passport yeah. uh, policies. Some have argued that there's this like liberal Western elite faction within Russia that controls like, you know, the financial and, and, and banking system and you know, they're twisting the arm of, of the rest, but it's kind of disappointing to see Russia. I, I, I mean, it's hard to explain that. I thought Russia would have not done that, but they're going on board with that. You know, what's your view? Take on, take on that. I, I share the same consternation you have. And I do think there is that kind of, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it a fifth column, although there are aspects of that as well. But the fact that, uh, you know, Putin is not the dictatorial head of a monolithic structure. He is not Stalin. Um, that there are different points of view within the Russian bureaucracy, within the Russian church, for crying out loud, all sorts of places. And that uh, you do have, um, I guess the, the, these will be the, the Russian equivalent of wokesters in places like St. Petersburg and Moscow. And some of them have been w Western educated and uh, they um, actually would, in their, in their little hearts of hearts, they would love to be Western liberals if they had half the chance. And, and unfortunately, I think there are a lot of them in the structures of the Russian state. I mean, 
a lot of people tell me, for example, like Nibulina, who runs the central bank, essentially as a branch of the American Federal Reserve, uh, that 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 and that Putin is less of a commander than he is a manager, that he is sort of balancing the different interests and different voices of the patrimonial interests within the Russian bureaucracy, which also to some extent took place during the, the Soviet days. But at least in the Soviet days, there was the sense of, well, there is a single ideological yardstick, Marxism-Leninism, you can use to measure deviation and conformity. They don't really have that as much now. Of course, that was a lousy yardstick. I mean, I'm not talking in favor of Marxism-Leninism. Right now, it's, you know, patriotism. But, you know, patriotism is a pretty wide category where people can argue, well, these policies are beneficial to the country. And maybe they're just beneficial to certain private interests in the country that maybe Putin has tamed to some extent, but not entirely. Um, so, you know, yeah, I find that very sad. You know, some people also say, well, you know, it's a little different. They've got Sputnik. It's a little different from the, the mRNA things we have. That, 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 that gives me very small comfort uh, to hear that. I mean, the idea of now, now Putin himself has said he doesn't think people should be mandated. But then he doesn't do anything like when the mayor of Moscow and other people impose mandates. So I don't I don't quite get it. Um, you know, it's like it's like you have reverse governor DeSantis in, in Russia or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's strange. Um, are we are we living through? Could we be living through what John the Revelator prophesied from the island of Patmos? What do you think? Uh that's a question that's hard to avoid. By the way, you can you, you notice you can write you can write build back better with three sixes in places of the B's, right? So maybe that has something to do with it. Um, I think the short answer is that uh, at least looking at it from the point of view of Christian history, there have been many antichrists with a small a. You know, you've got uh, uh, who was that? Antiochus Epiphanes and the Maccabean martyrs. You have Nero, of course. Um, that uh, that as the there, there's some people who expect that uh, the world will get better in some sense, that righteousness will triumph in the world. Um, I don't think that's the historic Christian view. The historic Christian view is the mystery of iniquity that, that worketh and that and, and that he that restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. And that means godly government, godly authority, which increasingly is a rare commodity in our world, and that when those restraints are gone, then we will see the reign of Antichrist, and then not too long after that, the end. It, are we living in those days? We possibly could be. I don't know. Or maybe they won't come for another 10,000 years. I don't think we know. This could be another one of those, what do they call in, in, in scriptural interpretation, types in preparation for the antitype, which is the fulfillment of the, of the type. Um I don't think we can know. I don't think we can know. I think all we can do, and this is, I think, what relates to a lot of what we're talking about, is so many people, I think, are deceived by what we're seeing because they don't have the spiritual compass. They don't have, if I can put it this way, the Holy Spirit speaking within them. So they recognize lies and falsehood when they see them and they hear them. Even people that in many respects are very honest and decent and wonderful people and uh and, uh, and and maybe even very sincere church-going Christians in their own way, but I, I think they're. Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I wish I had the answer to that. I don't. It's. It's. I, I think that's another reason why we we have to just sort of do what we know is right, 
try to be as sustainable as possible, be, be, be um, surrounded by the, by the best people we possibly can and keep our options open. Uh, you know, as I said in that speech, you know, you know, put yourself in a secure area, get you know people, get the essentials, uh, food, fuel, ammunition, and try to be as uh, sustainable as possible. Yeah, that you answered my my next question, which was basically in terms of preparation. You know, I don't think it's really complicated. It's it's basically doing as Teddy Roosevelt said, what you can, where you are, with what you've got, getting as rural as you can, uh, as analog uh, as you can, uh, as independent and self sustaining uh, as you can. Um, are, is there any other issue that you you um, we missed or that you like to mention? No, I don't think so. I mean, and that along those lines too is, and I don't again, I don't know how it is in other countries, but I think to some extent, at least here in America, in, even in some states that may be blue on the state level, but are still very red out in the countryside, you can still make contact with a lot of people who are, if I can put it this way, have their heads screwed on straight, and will be important resources for survival when things get bad as I, as I, as I think they will. Um, and it, you know, all comes down to people, uh, that, you know, uh, yeah, you can have, you know, God, gold and guns, uh, which you need to have, but, um, the people are very important. Uh, the only other thing I would say too, is that, um, you know, you're, you're, you're familiar with the Strauss and Howe thesis about every 80 or 90 years, we have the fourth turning, uh, and, some, at least in America, a crisis that completely remakes the country. The last one was during uh, the, the between the World Wars and the Great Depression. And we're, we're due for that now. And um, I, I think we just have to be prepared for it, uh, but mentally and morally and, and spiritually more than anything, as well as as uh, as materially. And uh, I, and I wish I wish I wish that weren't going to happen. I, I do. I do take some comfort in the fact that I'm not a young person. And uh, so, you know, I, you know, here's the other thing, Herboya, that really asked me is that, you know, some people talk about the prospect of, you know, things getting kinetic as civil war and all that, which is a terrible, terrible thing. I mean, you talk to people that come to, come to countries that have had civil wars. You look back on, the, you know, where I live now, it was a, probably one of the bloodiest parts of the country during our, our, our last civil war. Technically, our second one, our first one was during the revolution between loyalists and patriots. And um, you say, you know what? Unfortunately, that's the optimistic scenario that somehow what's left of an American nation, I, I believe there is an American ethnos that most people don't really understand in those terms, uh, that um, there's some hope possibly that we won't go down without a fight. And we might even triumph. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, though, that given the government corporate, uh, the way the stack, is, the deck is stacked by the corporate and government interests, that we go out with a whimper, not a bang, that basically we just sink slowly under the woke waves. And it, it is like a bol successful Bolshevik revolution, but with a lot less bloodshed. And we find ourselves, you know, what, in other words, you know, in Russia for 70 years, 75 years, and the countries of Eastern Europe for a few decades shorter than that, you could still go into that pipe and come out the other end, still being, you know, Russians or Serbs or Croats or Poles or whatever else they were, and still say, hey, we're still here. I don't think that will happen with Americans. I think if we go into that good night, that uh, that's that's curtains for what this nation is and what this country was built on, we won't 
be uh, we won't be a people at the end of 70 years. And that upsets me. On the other hand, I won't be here. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe that's yeah, that's some comfort, I guess. I guess I won't uh, be the, here technically in the U.S. when that happens, but it's not much of a consolation being in Mexico. And I've had the same what you just laid out. I've had that same thought in my mind that we just will go quietly uh, out into the nights. And it's really, I mean, unprecedented times. I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting calls lately. I've met a number of Canadians and Canadian families that have come down to Mexico. I'm getting emails from like supposedly retired military people from the U S someone just dropped some uh, someone from the middle East just dropped me a line email freaking out you know uh, about the restrictions in their country. Um, Israelis and others just, I'm getting calls and messages and, and people like wanting advice. And I'm like, so I'm in the same boat. Sorry, I can't. I can't give you any more answers than you know what I do already with the podcast and talking with people like yourself with with further insights. It's. I mean, it's getting really. It's. I. I, I don't use the term 1930s lightly because I'm meeting no. Can- Canadians who have for good fled even with their you know with their kids with their parents Canada here in Mexico and to other countries. So, um, Jim, you know, hunker down well. And if the cyber pandemic doesn't take down the internet or, or we don't find ourselves doing manual labor in the quarantine camps, uh, perhaps we may speak again. Yeah, I know. You talked about being more analog. I guess this is not very analog. Well, you know, <laughs> well, pretty soon it's going to be the metaverse, the virtual reality. with the uh, goggles, okay. So. okay, well, everything will be fine then. You know, I do wonder sometimes, too, when everything seems to be so seamless in the level of authority how do they do that? Do they, do, do they have like a, a directive or an order they send out to people? Do they all read from the same script or do they just instinctively know what to do and say, I don't really, how does all this work? And I think that's one reason it's so hard to figure out how do you resist because you can't really get your mitts on what it is we're dealing with, how this beast works, much less how to oppose it. And it's, and it's global. And we see, we see it at, at, yeah, it's. I don't understand how local Mexican officials are following orders from Davos. It's like trying to figure out that mechanism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, let's uh, let's hope for the best and prepare for the worst, and uh, you know, keep praying always. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast interview. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list through which you can receive an update of every new podcast, as well as a long list of key news headlines once a week. We're being heavily censored. YouTube has deleted some of our videos, and we currently have one strike. Patreon has terminated our account. Facebook has restricted our page, and Reddit has been the leading posts. Our favorite social media channels are Telegram and Twitter. The best places to watch the podcast beyond YouTube are on Odyssey, BitChute, and Brighteon. The best places to listen to the podcast are on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, or on any other podcast app. To help keep this podcast alive, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else, subscribe to all our platforms, and Leave a donation, if possible, via Subscribestar, PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. You can also find us on MeWe, Minds, Gab, Float, VK, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.